And welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. I see Armando shaking his head, but we were were just talking about those progressive (laughs) becoming your parents things. And on the latest commercial, the dude, you know, who's like talking people through this said, "Okay, they're not programs, they're shows. So way I actually said serious. Oh, my goodness. I tried to find it online and send it to you right away and say, like, checkmate. But, oh my uh, god, that, that's totally us. But again, I will definitely go on my deathbed and still say that you started program, but that's fine. We will change it to podcast. It's okay. <laughs> things, things change. Sometimes I realize that I'm wrong when I'm doing wow. things that I started myself. Anyway, uh, we have a very special episode today for you all to listen to, and it's not just because I'm actually recording in a room, which is filling me with energy. Instead I know. Of recording. What is this? What is going oh. on there, Reese? This is my childhood bedroom, which has been converted. Oh, to my that's mom's right. You're in, you're in Iowa. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not coming to you from my like five foot by seven foot recording closet. So anyway, enough about recording studio spaces. We have someone in a super dope recording studio space. We have Jordan Williams, brewer at Free State Brewery in Lawrence, Kansas. Jordan, Woo. thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm, I'm, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I'm glad to be a part of this podcast program show he's got yeah. it uh, he's, he's already insane it's the you're in Jordan. it's the triple in, uh, triple effect right there right exactly cover all your bases so no one can get mad yeah. ever we're, we got a full show of uh questions we're gonna ask jordan today about his personal life about free state brewery and about his brewing history we got a lot to get into but very first things first we just found out you went to St. Olaf, and you're a singer, and you lived in Minnesota for a few years. You have to dissect that for us. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, to bring the whole thing full circle, I'm actually a Lawrence native. I'm a townie. Right I grew up in Lawrence. Um, so, you know, when it comes time to pick a school, all that stuff, a lot of my friends were staying in town, going to KU. I wanted to go away. I wanted to get out of town a little bit. So kind of as I put it, I got distracted for about five or six years and lived up in Minnesota. Um, so I went to school. It got out of really Olaf. cold. It got very cold. The, the the first winter I was up there was actually their record cold winter. And I, I, my oh, car no. wouldn't start for like 40 days and the whole nine yards. I was thinking, yeah. why the hell am I doing this? Dude. But uh, <laughs> it was a great experience to get away for a little bit. And the beer scene in Minnesota is pretty cool. And so as you come of age up there, uh, it, it was a unique experience to get away and it was nice. I'm an only child, so it was nice to be a seven-hour drive away from my parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So I know I-35 really well. Uh, if you have any questions about the best rest stops, uh, restaurants, any of those things. But yeah, yeah, St. Olaf College, dry campus, believe it or not. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a Lutheran school, right? Yeah, affiliated with uh, the Lutheran Church. Um, so like roughly one-third of the students there have some kind of Lutheran affiliation. But it was an amazing school. Um Tons of great kids from all over. I mean, literally, I think 50 countries are represented, a little over 3,000 students, and almost all students live on campus all four years. Um, so you're, it's a very tight-knit community, which is something I really deeply appreciated. That and being close to the Twin Cities, it was like finding a college town that is you know, 45 minutes away from a big you know, city. That's just like what Lawrence was. So I was really, I was looking for Lawrence, oh, but I had yeah. to find it somewhere else. No, man. <laughs> So, so did you did you do singing in high school because you went to St. Olaf for singing? So did you yep. choir there, and then you decided for to go to St. Olaf? And for our viewers, St. Olaf is one of the best choral has one of the best choral programs in America. Oh yeah, so yeah. really, really cool. And we didn't know Jordan went there till right now. So yeah, we got yeah. got to talk about it. Yeah, um, I, I grew up singing. I grew up in a you know musical family. My grandpa was a band teacher in South Dakota for ever, for like 35, 40 years. Uh, my mom, also orchestra director here in, in Lawrence for 30 plus years. So if you know, if you know Mrs. Williams, if any of you listeners had Mrs. Williams, that's my mom. Um, and my dad actually works for the Kansas City Symphony. Um, so, so it's been cool. in the family. Uh, I wasn't as good with string instruments. Uh, 
I wasn't, I didn't have the, um, maybe the focus, you know, when your mom is your orchestra teacher, uh, it gets, you, you kind of butt heads a little bit of, of maybe <laughs> not quite practicing as much as you should be. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up singing. Uh, Lawrence has an amazing musical community in this town. I grew up with the Lawrence Children's Choir, traveling the, literally traveling the world with the Lawrence Children's Choir, um, and just kind of stuck with it all the way. So yeah, when it came time to uh, go to college, I still wanted to keep singing, but I was looking for a, a science program that was pretty solid, and St. Olaf um, had everything. I mean, it had one of the best choral programs in the country, as you guys said, and they were opening a brand new science facility um, right before my freshman year, and I, wow. I, I thought at the time I wanted to go pre-med. Um, organic chemistry kind of changed that career path. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I've heard that course is brutal. My sister's a doctor, and I think she had to take that yeah. uh, two or three times. Yeah, it, it, it kind of kicked my butt. Um, but being in a new place, Minnesota is a very unique state because um, the southern tier of the, of the state is you know grassland. The center is like uh, oak, and then the, the top half of the state has all evergreens. So uh, biologically speaking, it's a unique state. And so I started to kind of fall in love with the outdoors um, being in Minnesota, and that kind of took me on a different career path of working in the woods. Yeah. Wow. That's so <laughs> super cool. So then I, I got to ask, like, you guys do that giant Christmas at St. Olaf concert, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were watching PBS back in, like, 2010, 11, 12, you would have seen my face in HD makeup on PBS doing yeah. Christmas at St. Olaf. Time to go so, back and check the receipts. I am sure yeah, I have yeah, seen that before. I'm there. I mean, I've that, got a feature there. I mean, I'm from Iowa, so, you know, choral stuff is just like, you know, you, you do that coming out of the womb up here. So, I mean, every Christmas would watch Christmas at Luther, Christmas at St. Olaf, Christmas oh, at Warburg, yeah. you know, because our, our PBS station showed like all of those. So it was kind of like yep. family tradition, you know, have that on and celebrate Christmas. Okay. I have to ask you, Reese, uh, yeah. did you ever partake in show choir? Uh, okay, so this is the funny thing. Uh, for, for I went to Cedar Falls High in Iowa, which is technically a class 4A, which is the biggest classification in the state. We were like the one high school that did not have show choir for like. Well, okay, oh. that's good. I actually gain respect because <laughs> the show choir thing. If you don't know what it is, it is almost unexplainable. It's oh, yeah. fascinating yeah. to watch. Yep. It, did you have to do show choir? No, never. Okay. No. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I just saw people doing it, and I was like, "What on earth is this? Like Zumba cardio dance show, moves? Show choir is as." committed as like uh like a division one college football team where like it's you gotta insane. practice at like 5 a.m and then your actual choir period and then at the end of school at the school day you have to practice again i mean it's a straight up athletic commitment you know what though he's not here we'll have to get him on this next time i think kyle directed the jazz combo that played for the johnston high show choir now that you mention it so we got to do like an in-depth analysis for this to be like kyle we need the espn 30 for 30 on show choir like yesterday <laughs> we gotta put that on our, our patreon exactly bonus content all right well that's super cool to find out about your singing background man yeah 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 we, i could probably i would i would need some time to warm up to bust the pipes again but you know yeah, cause it's been a little while uh, I've, absolutely i mean it's, I, I can't remember the last time i really opened my mouth to sing don't tell anybody that or i'm gonna get <laughs> big trouble. uh anyway so that's your personal life and an artistic side of things. So now yeah. going from arts into sciences, uh, I want to ask you a few questions about your your personal history related to beer. So sure. you mentioned the St. Olaf was a dry campus, uh, which is a great jumping off point because my question for you is, what was your beer epiphany? Like, for example, for me, I think it was when I was 21. You know, I had I turned 21 in March, so I had had like you know a blue moon. I had <laughs> air you know, Budweiser. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I had I had some stuff like that. But it wasn't until I did a uh, internship out in D.C. that I went to one of the Dogfish Head Brew Pubs, and I had sure. like two or three of their beers. I had like the Midas Touch, like the Raison d'Etre, yeah. or whatever it is. And that was the first time to me. I'm like, whoa, this is what beer can be. So what was your experience that like got you opened up to craft beer in that regards? Man, 
That's a really good question, and it and it goes back lots of different ways. Like I feel like I could answer that like six different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm lucky that I grew up with you know in Lawrence having a brew pub in this town. You know, Free State opened in, in 1989, so it's been around forever. Um, so growing up here, it was just like always going down to the pub, and if. You know, I'm sure all of you guys have had a meal down there. It's just people from all walks of life. And so growing up, knowing that anybody can come here from any background, um, I just grew to appreciate that and, and, and keeping it weird. Um, my mom's favorite beer for like the last 25 years has been Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Uh, really? Yeah. You know, so I, I just constantly grew up around craft, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but really thinking back to it, um, it was honestly probably my my senior year in college. Um, there's a, a one of the biggest breweries in Minneapolis um, was new on the scene, kind of. Um, it was called Surly Brewing Company. Oh my gosh! They're, yeah, yeah, they're big guys now. Um, uh-huh. But yeah. w- when I was in in college, they were still tiny. Um, so. My roommate, who's now a doctor, uh, he had heard about this beer festival that they were going to do, and I think it was the second one they were ever having, and it was called Surly Darkness Days. Hmm. So they make this Russian imperial stout, this big, crazy, boozy, raisin, chocolate, alcohol, spicy, amazing imperial stout, um, and they were doing a beer festival for it. And so we were all pretty freshly 21, plus or minus a couple months, you know? And so we made this trip up. uh, My uh, roommate and two of our other friends and we get to this beer festival and you know at that point Surly was just in this tiny little factory space you know and it, it was open garage doors they had a live concert venue food all that whole nine yards and you know beer festival was kind of a novel uh, thing one and of itself right. but it, it must have been something about the Minnesota air. It was a perfect fall day. The weather was beautiful. It was sunny. Everybody was out enjoying themselves. And this beer was absolutely incredible where you're just tasting all these different flavors. And we turned like just this, you know, two or three hour little quote unquote festival that we didn't even have to buy tickets for. We just showed up for. It just turned into this absolutely fun day where we we were calling our friends parents and being like hey come join us you know we're at this little tiny brewery in in brooklyn park and um it just evolved into me thinking like wow this is an incredible community space that is inviting and inclusive and um there's you know now looking back there's tons of science and 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 culture and and arts that are behind all of all of what happens but that was probably a big epiphany for me that day of drinking a bunch of russian imperial stout on a beautiful fall afternoon at certainly brewing company and ladies and gentlemen that can't see us on this video, he's actually wearing uh, a Surly T-shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was from and work had, today. He had yeah, no idea. I, yeah, yeah. Had to throw one on. I, I didn't even think about that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. Oh my god. Yep. Small world. Small world. Okay, so that being said, that's the the experience that kind of opened your eyes up to what craft beer could yeah. be. Subsequently, when did you know you wanted to work in beer? Like, were you working a day job in one day? Just did like, you know, the, the Dave Grohl learning to walk again thing where you get out of your car and you start walking and you wind up at a brewery, that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, sort of, I guess. I, I started homebrewing, gosh, um, maybe like when I was 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. And I'm like almost 32 now for reference. So. <laughs> But uh, I started homebrewing and, uh, you know, mixed results, but I had a lot of fun with the chemistry of it, the biology of it, you know, having my science background and then like the native plants, like I was throwing yarrow in there and researching what like uh settlers were brewing back in the 1800s and and stuff like that and looking at a lot of those origins yeah like alternatives to hops you know and as like especially like german immigrants as they were you know coming to america um before they had you know malt houses and everything what were they doing so i i appreciated the history behind that um so can you actually expand on that just for my nerdy self what did they do (laughs) instead of hops and yeast well, they were all they were still using yeast. Um, oh, okay. A, a lot malt, of sorry. Yeah, and they and then they were still growing malt and things like that. Um, but they were using a lot of native plants in the space, whatever they could find. Um, yarrow was a very common. Um, 
replacement for hops for a lot of people. But there were also wild hops growing. Um, it was just a matter of finding them. And <laughs> thankfully for those immigrants, um, they they made a point to get the infrastructure established for their breweries because that was such a huge part of their community. So they didn't go along without having all the similar infrastructure. Um, that and just there were constantly boats going back and forth, so they, <laughs> they could they could get all the ingredients they needed. But there are stories too of families. Um, I have a Scandinavian background. Scandinavian families had like traditional brewing spoons that were passed down in families, and those spoons that we now know still had yeast on them. Yeast culture, wow. Yeah, yeah. It made the trip over and and would stay with those homebrew families. And so they would have their own kind of, I don't know if you want to say endemic species of yeast that has been passed down for generations. Um, Just little things like that I thought were the way coolest thing. Um, So yeah, I I, I was homebrewing, albeit (laughs) maybe mixed results, Uh, some really good beers, some not so good. Um, And I was working actually at Beautiful Music Violin Shop here in Lawrence, Kansas. I have to give them a shout out. Um, JJ Hansen's a wonderful human. Uh, And I was learning how to be a luthier, believe it or not, like how how to do repairs on on violins and violas and cellos and building bridges and things along those lines. And... uh, I don't know how it got to my attention, but somehow it came up that Boulevard was going to be opening a massive new visitor center, and they were going to be hiring a a boatload of staff. And lucky enough for me, I was able to free up some time, and I made it to the last open house interview day and uh, got uh, hired as part of the crew of, I think there were like 25 to 30 of us that got hired to help open that new space. Wow. Dude, wow. So that's how I got started as a, you know, into the brewing industry. Is, was, uh, and did you start as a brewer or you started in the tap room? Nope. Yep. It started in the tap room at Boulevard. Um, I think I originally got hired just as one of their servers that walks around a porter. Um, nice. And that lasted for, well, this is actually a, a very good point. Um, it was a blessing to get hired for Boulevard at that exact moment because they hired us, I think, in the early, early spring because they assumed the building was going to be ready pretty quickly and construction kind of dragged on. So all of a sudden they have these, you know, I think there were 15 to 20 of us that were full time and probably 10 to 15 people that were part time and they had to guarantee us hours. So it's, well, what do we do with this staff while this building is still under construction? So they just started deep diving us uh, with a ton of information. I mean, there's a couple Cicerones around staff and we could talk to brewers and, and they had a master Cicerone, one of, I think, seven at that time, Neil Witt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so we still, were just getting still only a handful. Yeah. There, I think there's 13 now or something like that yeah. but in the world. Uh, right. We were just getting inundated with all this information because we couldn't open the space yet. Um, so it was like three months or something like that or four months of just um, literally getting paid pretty much full time to learn about beer and craft beer and uh yeah, I, maybe not their best investment, unfortunately, because of construction, <laughs> but it worked out for me. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, That's crazy. I was going to say, it's like, look what the first class of students is off doing, you know? It's like it, it's so true, though. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people who are able to um, take that education and kind of run with it in various different directions. Exactly. Teach a man to fish and all that. Okay, then. So that was your time at Boulevard, and you were mentioned you were, you were a home brewer before. So I got to ask, yeah. were there any particular brews that you just feel like you really knocked out of the park like was your pilsner just perfect and like your stouts were kind of like yeah uh so there's always a caveat with home brewing uh because you can only be as good as maybe what your equipment is or how much money you want to spend like i didn't invest in a chest freezer to lager beers so i actually have never even home brewed a lager um because that would involve so much temp oh. control stuff um yeah so it was always kind of those you know quick ferment ales um actually the first homebrew i ever made i, I tried to reverse engineer a clone of ad astra really? so <laughs> maybe that's full circle where i'm realizing as a homebrewer it's like i should 
should probably be in the brewing industry. Uh, but no, I, you know, I, I, I kind of narrowed down a, uh, there was a Belgian IPA that I used to just go back and brew kind of over and over again mm-hmm. that I just really enjoyed all the wonderful aromas and flavors that exist in that. That's so cool. Like, how, yeah, how much were cool. you homebrewing by volume at that time? Because I know they have, what's that joke about how, like, you can't sell your homebrew, but you oh, can get it to thirsty buddies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, there were a few, like, friends' birthday parties and stuff where I would donate, you know. You're, you're brewing, like, five gallons at a time, which is basically, like, 50 pours, you know, 50 12-ounce bottles, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was probably brewing every at least twice a month, you know? Um, so a hundred beers a month, you know, three a day as a home brewer. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's super impressive. Yeah. So were you able to take the knowledge they were giving you while you were waiting to start working at Boulevard and like uh, putting that into application with your home brewing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. and it was, it was, it was, it went both ways because I was, when we all got hired, I think there were maybe three or four of us had some home brewing experience of various degrees. Um, and so we were learning more from that, but we were also able to disseminate information that we knew, you know, we obviously knew a lot about a different hot varieties or simple malts or, and, and overall the brewing process. Um, so that, that kind of added some camaraderie of, uh, peer education, peer to peer education, I think during that time. Absolutely. So did uh, did uh, Stephen Powell's take you under his wing, and he was like, "This is how you make tanks." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I love Stephen Powell so much. Uh, he he is one of the nicest people I've I've really come across in in the totally. brewing industry. Mm-hmm. He will stop to answer any question you ever have. Um, yeah. And, and, and it was kind of funny when I told him, or I can't remember if I told him or if he had just found out that I got a job at Free State to go be a brewer. He came to me and he was like, why didn't you just tell me you wanted to brew? And I'm like, Stephen, no offense, but this is a little excessive. I don't think you would, I would be qualified to help with that, but he's still one of the nicest people. Dude, that's so that's cool awesome. that like you and he got such a good uh good brewer to brewer relationship going on, man. Yeah, well, and then it was wild, you know. Right after I started at Free State, you you would, I, we were fortunate that I was going to a lot of different beer festivals and and brewer conferences and the Great American Beer Festival, and then it felt like every week I was running into Stephen Powell's either in Kansas city or at a festival or something like that. And it got to the point where he was like, man, we can't be seen together anymore. They're going to think I'm stealing you back. You know, like <laughs> that's oh. so cool. Dude, that, that's yeah. so awesome to hear about your story of like getting into, you know, brewing on a, on a large scale, like free state. So speaking of which, how did you wind up working for free state? Can you tell us about yeah. that a bit? Uh, dumb luck, uh, good conversation skills, and a hard work ethic, I think, are all going to combine <laughs> into that. That, uh, that is like the perfect <laughs> recipe for any job. <laughs> yeah. It, right. You know, I, I, I'm not going to discredit myself and say it was just all dumb luck. I mean, I was working hard and I was studying a lot um, as far as process and all of those things. But uh, I made myself not necessarily a regular, but I, I was at the pub a decent amount. And and um, at the Free State Pub on my off days when I was still a Boulevard human, wow. and I was I, I could I figured out who the brewers were. Like I started to recognize them, and I, I could see them around. And I just started asking questions, um, especially to Jeff Demon, uh, who is our I believe the official title is Director of Brewing Operations for Free State. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would always ask Jeff questions. I would always see him wave at him around town, stuff like that. It was clear we had a lot of the same interests because I'd see him at the same restaurants or, you know, around town. And uh, so it finally came one day. I was there at, at the pub on my day off with my partner, and he waited until she left and then came, came up to me and was like, hey, do you, do you want to learn how to brew? Do you want to, do you want a job? You know? And I was like, wait, me? Like, do you know what? No, what? And, uh, so it was kind of then that conversation of like, how do I leave what I've been doing at Boulevard and, and how do I transition into this, you know, from front of house at Boulevard to back of house at free state, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, right place, right time. Jeepers creepers. So that's awesome, man. So how many years have you been there now? 
I'm not good at uh, I'm still the baby, believe it or not. Uh, oh. I think I've been at Free State for about three and a half, almost four years. Wow. Okay. So cool. I spent wow. I spent a little bit under two years at Boulevard. So you know I haven't, so to speak, I haven't been in the industry super super long, um, yeah. especially compared to some of my coworkers at Free State. I mean, they've been there since the mid '90s, 2000s, early 2000s, um, oh, and yeah. some people have been there for almost 30 years, 30 plus years now. Cool. Nice. Yeah. So as so as a brewer, obviously you love to drink beer and you're there all the time. Tell us tell us some of your favorite beers. Why don't you give us a, a Mount Rushmore of Jordan's favorite beers to drink? Doesn't have to be free state, it could be. And then part two of that. Actually, let's do that question first, because that's that's a big one. What are Okay, what that, are is your a, top that is a big four one. beers that if you could get it at any point? Man, that's that's like choosing favorite kids or something along those lines. <laughs> Not that I have any, but uh, I would or have to throw in. Or if you were on a stranded in, island, you had to have four beers. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of pull our conversation together, maybe I'm going to throw down with uh, Surly Darkness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw right. in uh, a Boulevard Tank Seven. That's one of my oh, favorites. Yes. Yep. Uh, and then there's quite a few from free states, to be honest, like, um, that we can even get into later, but there's a barrel aged Imperial stout called Ode max that we release kind of at random. <laughs> it's oh, like yeah? every, every time we nice. feel like it, maybe every three, four years, <laughs> uh, the barrel, you're like, Hey, this tastes pretty good. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chasing it out of the barrel. Um, I actually, I popped one of those Ode max. We, the last time we sold it, I think was three years ago and I've saved a couple in my cellar and I popped one on the day of my second vaccine so that was my vaccine celebration beer so yeah that's an important one um and then honestly um both uh free state copperhead and free state ad astra would all kind of fit into those for me boy yeah for sure yeah for sure and then to kind of parallel it um what are some of your favorite styles that you like to brew that are your wheelhouse or you just man you're like you can do it with your eyes closed yeah, um, the, the, the fun thing is being, so this is kind of unknown, I guess, to some people in the industry still, is that uh, Free State has two breweries, obviously. We have our brewery at the pub, and then which is a smaller system, and then we have our production brewery, which produces everything pretty much that you can see in bottles or cans. Um, so I work at our production brewery. Uh, we call it Eastside. And um, so what that entails is I'm on a much larger scale than I would be if I was at the pub, but it also means I'm brewing a lot of the same beers um, throughout the year over and over and over again, um, which in a lot of ways is actually way harder because you're trying to keep that same consistency quality, month yeah, to month, week absolutely. to week, year to year. Um, so that being said, like, looking at the free state portfolio, I don't even think I have a favorite of our beers to necessarily brew. Um, I'll say our stout has some challenges to it. Um, our copperhead has some challenges. Our storm chaser has some challenges. Um, so those are always days where you're kind of like paying a little extra attention on top of everything else. Um, so I always like those days, uh, having a bit more of a challenge, I guess. This actually segues perfectly into my next question. What are some horror stories that you are allowed to share or that you want to share about the brewing process? For example, we had um, we had Courtney Service on, and she had talked about how some of the off flavors and the sours were just really awful when she first started. Um, Skip from uh, uh, from Weldworks, who was at Black Project, had to pour 200 barrels down the drain because they, they were infected. So yep. so don't worry, they've already shared some really (laughs) bad ones so you can you have the floor my man (laughs) yeah uh that's a really good question you know everybody i've talked to has something along the lines of this happened and i had to dump this and or this happened and i had to dump this um i've been really well I don't know if I've been lucky or if we've been good. And I want to say we've been good probably because all, all my coworkers have like a hundred years of experience combined um, that we haven't really had any major issues um, that are immediately jumping out at me. I will say one of my scariest, worst days, hardest brew day I've ever had was probably about two years ago now, I think. It was the, the day of the, the tornado in Lawrence. 
Oh, uh, that just skirted oh, town. Yeah, it just skirted town. So I was brewing that day, and um, I still had that was in the late, early, late afternoon, early evening. I want to say I still had like three or four hours of of, of um, the process still to go. I had just gotten the wort into the tanks. I had added the yeast, so that was all buttoned up. But I still had the whole cleaning process. We call it a CIP, um, clean in place. So I had the whole CIP of the whole brew house, which takes two, two and a half hours. Um, we have this screen door. Y'all are going to have to come take a tour when COVID is over, but we have this <laughs> oh, screen totally. door and, and right next to the brew house. And I started hearing tornado sirens and it was still sunny out and everything. So I was like, mm-hmm. this is bad because there were already warnings in the area. Like I knew it was supposed to be a tornado day. So I start checking my phone and I, I start sending out texts to my coworkers and my bosses being like, is this, I'm not paying attention to the news. Obviously I've been brewing like what's going on. And they're like, yep, tornadoes coming like confirmed on the ground um it's it's coming so get get it all buttoned down so i I came to a stopping point in my brew day and uh, i started just like immediately just refreshing twitter like as fast as i can trying to find all the information on this and this tornado was like slow enough moving that um i was already getting news reports of houses that were completely destroyed before the tornado had like gotten even close to lawrence yet um so our I might have had the best and worst uh, tornado shelter in all of Lawrence that day. Our tornado shelter is actually our barrel aging room. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. So it smells amazing, but it's also like that scene in Twister when they walk into the barn and there's all those knives and, and swords and everything on the, on the wall. And you're looking around, and you're like, oh, this is bad. Because those barrels are heavy and they're all on these metal racks and everything. So oh, I was totally. like, if we really get this, you know, F3, F4 tornado to the square, like, <laughs> no, I don't be, know. You're going to be swimming in some. Uh, yeah. Swimming, not ideal. Some stout, man. Yeah. Yeah, not ideal. So, um, you know, and then my my girlfriend came over and we all hid there because we don't have a basement. And the brewer who lives like two blocks away came over to hide in that tornado shelter, too, because he doesn't have a basement. Mm -hmm. So the three of us just kind of hid in in the barrel room for like 45 minutes while this tornado passed. Um, And after the fact, I I ended up driving the distance and it passed 2.6 miles from the brewery. Um, And it was three quarters to a mile wide at the time it passed. So. It didn't miss by much. Um, So then after after it passed and, you know, it was evident that, you know, it was clear and like Lawrence itself was somehow spared. And amazingly, in that whole tornado, no one died because it was an F4 tornado. Um, uh, I had to figure out how to get my head back in the game and and do our dangerous CIP where I'm working with heat and chemicals and pressure. And uh, I was pretty shook that day. That was not my favorite day. Oh my gosh, I bet. It's like a way more deadly version of a pitcher having to go in after a rain delay or something oh, like that. Yeah, oh, it totally was. Far worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, that's a uh, jeepers. I don't think we've experienced a story like that yet on the podcast. That was that's a great a, story. I mean, it's, it's it's fun for us, but not for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's great to look back on now, um, but at the time, yeah, it was pretty terrifying. I mean, I, at least I was on the clock the whole time. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, you, you know what? It's like... I almost feel like you guys should make some sort of like free state armored car that's like the storm chaser, storm chaser, and just go out and chase tornadoes. Dude, that's free. That's free marketing right there. I would, I would love to do that. Just yeah, have reach like out a to a tap system on it too. Yeah, so oh you can my do like a gosh. like an ice cream truck storm chaser. That's brilliant. Okay, wait, wait, I'm we, gonna steal that idea. I'll, I'll cut what? you guys like ten percent or something. Please, we'll I'll, I'll take ten yeah. percent. Piece of the growth. <laughs> All right. Well, jeepers, I, I got to come down off uh, after that story. But okay, so some more history on Free State. Then I'm, I'm super yeah, interested yeah. to talk about it because I mean it's, it's one of those staples that like especially if you live in the Kansas City metro, like everybody knows about Free State. You know, yeah. so the fact that it opened in 1989. Like, yeah. I had no idea. Can you tell us a bit more on that? Yeah. I mean, um, well, especially for people in the KC Metro, they always think Boulevard Free State. And mm-hmm. 
truthfully, Free State was ahead of Boulevard. Was it really? And I can say that fairly because I, I worked at both places, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Free State opened in February of '89, and Boulevard opened in November of '89. So oh. uh, a little little rivalry distance there. But uh-huh. no, the, the the truth is, Free State having being one of those um, kind of original institutions is a credit to our proprietor and owner uh, founder Chuck Magrill. Um, who to this day, I think is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my life. Um, when he opened the brewery, it was the first uh, legal brewery in Kansas mm-hmm. uh, since Prohibition. Um, which is which, wild. Yeah, and, and Kansas did Prohibition before, like, the rest of the country did. So I think, like, brewery, a brewery in Kansas had not opened in almost, 100 like, 100 years. years. Think, yeah. yeah, 1880, I think, to 1989. So Chuck had to go to the state house and get laws changed um, the whole way, um, and he was kind Honestly, he became like a fixture in the state house in Topeka of just being like, this is what I'm trying to do. Um, and he was a perfect person for it because, and he can tell this way better than I can. So, and you guys should get him on someday because he's fascinating to talk to you. But oh, uh, sure, yeah, totally. his family history involves um, both grocery stores in Kansas City. And then I believe it was his grandfather was making liquor during Prohibition in the underground kind of thing. Uh, Even there, I think there was a stint in Leavenworth that happened because of said bootlegging. Um, So Chuck came by it honestly, but um, as early as the 70s, I know he opened um, now an institution in Lawrence, the Merck, the Community Mercantile, the uh, co-op here in town. Mm -hmm. He helped open that as a concept of getting fresh ingredients um, that were from the local farmers to the community, to the people here. Um, and he kind of took that same, I guess, um, experience and, and mission and wanted to apply it to a local craft brew pub, a community space with fresh ingredients, um, local ingredients, um, cooking it for the community, having beer for the you know, community. And so when he, he was getting serious in like, I think the late eighties, 86, 87, um, he ended up going to like the, the, the St. Olaf college choir. He, he ended up going to the, the brewing version of that, uh, oh. UC Davis. Yeah. So he, he got, <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back. Wow. But yeah, he, he went to UC Davis and, and, and was kind of brew pub oriented and did some stints of studying how to open brew pubs. I, I believe he spent some time in Montana. Montana, opening a brew pub up there, um, and then came back. Uh, there were less than 200 breweries in the entire United States when he opened Free State in 89. Um, and I know today we're very close to 9,000. So yeah, yeah less than yeah, 200 breweries to 9,000. 200 in Fort Collins. That's right. <laughs> well, and then, you know, I was, I, I was asking him cause he's a history person too. And so he, he was studying the history and like what, you know, Lawrence, used to have a ton of brewers before Prohibition. Um, and he said something to me the other day that uh, he was the 114th brewery to open in the history of Kansas. Really? And he was the first brewery to open in over in 100, 100 years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So there used to be 114 or 113 breweries, I guess, in yeah. the state of Kansas back in the 1800s, and then they all ceased to exist. So I, what? There, there must be 35 or so in Kansas these days. I, I don't know the actual number. I haven't looked recently. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a far cry from the way it used to be. That's incredible. Who would have thought yeah. there was so much brewing history in Kansas, especially like since the liquor laws are so much more steep there than they are in Kansas City. Or sorry, sorry well, Missouri can, size. Excuse me, excuse me. True. You can, you can attribute a lot of that to the German immigrants um, that existed here and, and came to Kansas and the Midwest in general. There's just a lot of German... Uh, brewing history, I guess, so to speak, in the state. Wow. Super cool. Okay, so then the other thing I have to ask, and I feel like this is going to be the most obvious thing in the world that only I don't know, what is the story of the Hawk logo? <laughs> Uh, that's, a, that's a good Chuck question. Um, he is an avid birder. Is he really? Um, yes. Oh. And... 
I don't know. I'm going to ask him that the next time I see him. Uh, I I don't know if he chose it is it is a prairie falcon. I know that specifically Mm -hmm. because I got corrected on my very first day. Um, So don't get it twisted. It's not a peregrine falcon. It's not anything else. It is a prairie falcon. Prairie falcon. Okay. Oh, yeah. Is but this- uh no he he is an avid birder has been and that's kind of been my new pandemic hobby like i got a new pair of binoculars oh, so yeah. now i i go and bug chuck sometimes and we try to have birding conversations that's so cool he took a trip actually i was very jealous to uh, mention real fast he went out to western kansas to watch the the prairie chickens dance just like a couple weeks ago really um, yeah no way. yeah he's into it he is into it he is fascinating wow yeah, he sounds yeah, we totally like... we have to have him on for a plethora of reasons. I mean, I, uh, yes. that and, like, the curiosity of the 19th century brewing scene in Kansas. Like, yes. seriously, there's a dissertation goodness. paper for you. Well, and, and, and that's why we have the quote uh, from the, the monastery brewer, uh, because without beer, things do not seem to go as well. That's a, a tribute to Chuck and some of the research he was doing about previous breweries in Kansas and things along those lines. So, wow. yeah, he is a, a, a man of mystery. Dude, I have to say, like, I have to stand by him with the birding thing. My father-in-law's got a bird feeder in his backyard and a bunch of trees. I'll tell you what. I'll just stand on the stairs and watch all the different birds come in. I'm like, oh, there's goldfinch. Goldfinch to me are like <laughs> shiny Pokemon. Because, like, in Iowa, they're the state bird, but you never see them. So down there, I'm like, oh, there's one right there. You know, it's, it's, yep. it's the coolest. It's the most fun thing. It's, it's one of my favorite holiday treats. It's fun to get out and do that right now, especially when there's been a pandemic going on. You can get away totally. from people and just go stand in the woods and listen. Oh, yeah. Or like early on in the <laughs> pandemic when lockdown was a thing and like all those animals were starting just to like, you know, mosey back on into downtowns and stuff. They're like, yeah. hey, d- did we win? Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this I Am Legend with Will Smith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I felt like that for a hot second. Okay. So then in regards to the operation going on at Free State, you mentioned there's kind of like two different uh, two different brewing spots. What's the system size in both of those locations, and how many barrels per year is Free State putting out? Um, well, the barrels per year thing, I, I don't have an exact number. I know that from 19 to uh, 20, somehow we were almost like dead even at the east side production facility. Really? So thank you to everyone staying thirsty and, and drinking at home instead of going to the bars. Mm-hmm. Um, but we produce roughly 10,000 barrels a year, oh. um, which is a decent amount of beer. I think it puts That's us... Great just behind or close to Casey Beer Co. um, as far as a metro reference. Okay. Um, Yeah, and so our system at the east side, our production facility, uh, it's a 40-barrel brew house, Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually from uh, Widmer. Uh, uh, Widmer Brewing up in the Pacific Northwest. We have their old brew house, I guess. Oh, so um, cool. Yeah, so it still has like their their name on it and everything. <laughs> um, so we have quite a few fermentation vessels uh, over at the east side. Um, we're going to get another double batch fermentation vessel later this summer to help us with uh, the dreaded Oktoberfest season mm-hmm. that'll come through. Um, we have, like I think, enough for 18 to 20 batches or so of fermentation capacity at once um, and quite a few bright tanks um, I believe for uh, off the top of my head eight or so batches mm-hmm. at a time um, so yeah we're, we're brewing quite a bit of beer um, the downtown facility has uh, is a 14 barrel brew house so okay. a lot smaller um, not as much fermentation vessels and and literally like what you see when you go down to the pub and you're eating lunch or dinner what you see downstairs and upstairs that is it there's nothing hidden in the back you know it's all right there there's a walk-in cooler I'll say that where we have all our kegs and everything but um, yeah it's a much smaller scale so, it's kind of fun so the downtown one do they brew then the specialty beer since it's small batch or it's kind of divided evenly yeah um the where you know i'm at uh the east side production facility like 99 percent of the time i'm actually just now learning how to brew downtown i think i've i've brewed downtown four times in the last like month and a half so i'm slowly learning how to do that um but uh yeah they brew all the smaller scale things um like draft only releases um blue collar lager if you guys have ever been to johnny's and had the free state blue collar lager um that's that's constantly 
brew down there. Hmm. Um, yeah, things like that. Just we kind of use it as as not only um, like a, a a pilot batch, like testing out new beers or testing out what we new concepts, but definitely gives us a little bit of freedom of creativity because mm-hmm. smaller scale, we can kind of burn through that beer quicker, so to speak. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a pretty cool operation, all things considered. Like everything that goes into that. That's, that's yeah. amazing. I, I'm glad I'm, you know, I say I'm just a lowly brewer because I don't have to plan everything in advance and figure out. We, we have to transfer different beers back and forth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe, legally speaking, they are kind of two different breweries. So there's kind of like this whole taxation process that is way over my head and makes everything more complicated. Oh, yeah. So luckily, I just I just get to drink the beer and brew it and don't have to worry about that. I, I, I want to ask this question, but I forgot what the term is i'm gonna sound like a jabroni armando what was that thing uh, uh skip was talking about like the open kettle brewing where they just let like things fall into the atmosphere like into the brew pet kettle oh, sp- spontaneous spontaneous um, spontaneous, spontaneous fermentation yeah fermentation, so like yeah. Can, can you guys do that at the brew pub just like let all the we could i'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> uh kind of staying on this subject then what goes into the style selections at free state because you guys have your uh, flagships then you have your seasonals then you have so who who's picking that is it the proprietor or your and then how do they pick it pretty much comes down to jeff demon and and ideas that he has and recipes that he wants to write he's been kind of taking the lead of not only the production uh, side at east side but doing everything downtown as well um at least pre-covid post you know who knows what's going to happen um but yeah we, we we really do appreciate having some more of those traditional styles and um keeping things kind of true to their own nature. I think a conversation that we've had as brewers collectively is like, we always think it's amazing um, to drink, for an example, like just drinking uh, an oatmeal stout and, and tasting like the oats and tasting like notes of chocolate and all these different food components. And knowing that we're not doing that by adding food components. We're doing that with our art and our craft and, and biology and chemistry. Um, and so I think that can, I, I know I'm putting words in some other people's mouths, but I think I can say that from my perspective, that's kind of um, a route that we deeply appreciate going down. That and the history, you know, some of the styles we brew are literally hundreds of years old. So trying to do those justice, but also adding our own modern twist to it as well. So so you guys probably won't be doing these like super pastry stouts or slushy sours then tomorrow. Man, <laughs> I've been threatening now that I'm downtown, I'm threatening a glitter beer like oh. uh, it's gonna happen no. wait, 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 wait. Is, that, is, is that a joke or is glitter beer a thing i'm just not on yet that's okay. a joke oh. we, we won't have glitter beer but like gold no, I mean, basically. That, yeah there that's not to take away from anybody who does it I, I i had a beer at a brewery when i was in minnesota a couple years ago and it they literally said the style was an instagram ale because they added some, they added glitter and they added some kind of food coloring. I don't know what was going on with it. It tasted awful, but it looked really cool. Um, so I can honestly say that Free State will never do anything like that. I mean, we are you heard it here constantly first. breaking news. Found City Sports yeah. Media. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you won't see glitter or food coloring added to a beer at any point. But uh, I don't know. We never say never. I mean, you know, obviously technology has changed. Canning technology has changed. When Chuck opened Free State, he said he would never distribute. You know, and then like ten years ago, he said he would never can a beer because bottling was superior. And now look, you know, we have cans, we have bottles, we're distributing all across Kansas and Missouri, and um, so I never say never on anything. I, Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Keep your mind open to everything. That's super awesome. So, any talk of uh, in regards to beer styles, was there any talk of branching out into any other sort of malt beverage avenues? Like, I know seltzers are big right now. You know, like twisted tea kind of beverages seem to be on the rise. Any talk of doing anything like that, or is it going to be strictly beer? Uh, again, never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know we um. We, we did try a small, small version test batch of a seltzer. Yeah. This would have been two and a half, three years ago. Wow, that, that's and, ahead uh, of the game two, three years ago. 
Yeah, uh, we didn't love it, so it never saw the light of day. That's yeah, um, it's, it's, it's weird to make seltzers. We we tried to make one as well when I worked at Weldworks, and it was like, nope, we're we're not going to do it because it's yeah. weird with the like carb trying to get the right carbonation on it, and then if you don't have it, then yeah. it just tastes really flat and weird. There aren't a lot of good seltzers. Well, yeah. Yeah, the the yeast was fascinating because it's like this totally unique yeast strain that's like proprietary to this lab, and it, it's like a totally different color, and you have to add all these nutrients because you're pretty much just using sugar water. Right. Whereas as far as brewing beer, there's tons of of nutrients and vitamins and things that involve you know or with the grain, so your yeast is happy. So the seltzer thing was just it was a it was a mind bend, um, but I, I can honestly say from my last few trips to the Magic Happy Fun Land, a.k.a. liquor store, uh, the seltzer world is well taken care of. <laughs> There's a wide variety of, of beers out there. Okay, so you kind of touched down on this earlier. Uh, are there any, as I so bluntly put this, McRib <laughs> beers that Free State makes, cult following beers that people are always like, bring this back. Because like at Boulevard, you probably got a lot of people like, well, bring back Three Jokers, bring back Grainstorm. Subsequently, they did eventually for that 30th anniversary thing, but are there any Free State cult following beers? Uh, there is one that occasionally happens to me at, at beer festivals and it's, it's gotta be from so many years ago that I don't even remember it. Like I have a pretty good free state beer memory. Cause I was always going to eat at the pub, even as a kid and things. Uh, and it's called crimson berry and it's a beer. It must've been from 12, 15, 20 years ago. And from all I can gather from everyone, everyone I ask who was working at Free State at the time of it, if I ask about Crimsonberry, they just roll their eyes and usually have a big groan. <laughs> so I can say that one won't come back because okay. they, they don't like it. I think it's stained draft lines. I don't even know all the logistics behind it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it sounded like a mess and nobody wants to bring it back. So. R.I.P. Crimsonberry. Right. You heard it here. Never say never, except for Crimsonberry. Dead. Except for Crimsonberry. Yeah, that one's not coming back. <laughs> so sticking with the beer, uh, in regards to the best beer that Free State makes, kind of three three part question here. What do the people say is the best beer Free State makes? What would an employee say the best beer Free State makes? And what do you say is the best beer Free State makes? Well. It depends on the metric we're going to use. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I think on sales numbers, I, I, I think the people really like Yakimaniac oh, as far totally. as year-round beer. Yakimaniac IPA. That's a good one. Um, That's my favorite, honestly, of yours. It, it's a really good beer. Um, if employees, it might be close, too. They might like Yakimaniac the most. I mean, you know, we constantly tweak recipes never make massive changes but we're constantly trying to improve things and sometimes we'll make test batches with like a little tweak and we'll have some employees try it out mm -hmm. uh, we made a tweak to yakimaniac once and there was almost like a revolt oh gosh really? <laughs> so, new coke on it? yeah it's just like yeah everybody was like no don't do that <laughs> so okay don't touch got wow. it um I don't know. I I have to give a, a, a large shout-out to our Oktoberfest, though. Mm. That's still one of my favorite beers all the time to drink. I mean, I'm looking forward to O-Fest season. Our first brew day is coming up, like, what, two months or something. We'll have our first O-Fest brew of the season. Really? So, oh, my yeah, nice. A lot of lagering time goes behind O-Fest. So. I, uh, I, I have a buddy who will be unnamed for, uh, you know, posterity purposes here but their favorite oktoberfest is the free state oktoberfest man that is it good is stuff. good it is even i i could say even when i was still working at boulevard i would still tell people that free state oktoberfest was the best oktoberfest wow. <laughs> over bobs yeah <laughs> Speaking about crazy things that could happen at said Oktoberfest or the tap room, can you share with us the wildest thing you have ever witnessed in the tap room at Free State that, oh, that you're allowed to say? You know, that's a really hard question because, well, I don't, I don't work down there. So the only time I'm really down at the tap room is kind of as a, uh, a, a normal citizen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there was one time I think I was on the, the front free state patio and 
some I don't know the whole story behind it, but I know it ended up in the paper. But long story short, there ended up being a citizen's arrest on some guy who was running away from the police. What? Uh, they went to the tap yeah, room for some Mad Astra. <laughs> no, they were just running by, and some guy who was having a beer like saw him coming on the patio, and uh, the guy who was he was just running down the sidewalk, and um, the the good Samaritan Free State patron tackled the runaway criminal and held him down until the police came and arrested him. Wow. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's super ironic that Cigar City makes a beer called Florida Man because that's like the biggest Florida Man thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was a pretty wild sight. Wow. Um, that was one of the better ones. There was a day, actually, a couple weeks ago, um, I was walking, I was downtown on my day off, and uh not to be confused with a prairie falcon, mm-hmm. but a red-tailed hawk had captured a pigeon and landed on top of our sign <gasps> at the pub. No uh, way. <laughs> yeah. And I believe there's a picture that ended up on our social media and everything. So it was this red-tailed hawk sitting on top of our sign with a dead pigeon in his claws, talons. That, so is, that was pretty impressive, that's too. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Wild. yeah. Wow. That's Very a- good for your uh, for your PR people, for sure. Oh, I know. Yeah, our social guy, he was all over it. He was excited. And Chuck was excited, too. He For a couple days, he was like, did you see the red-tailed hawk with the pigeon? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, a birdie. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> Talking about famous people like the red-tailed hawk, have you ever seen any famous people there at the tap room since you guys are in Lawrence? Maybe Paul Pierce, maybe Joel Embiid, any of these famous KU stars? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is a, a picture of uh, one of the brewers previous, previous to me. Um, he actually now is a brewer, I believe, over in Denmark. I could be wow. wrong, but he's a brewer in Denmark now. He's actually like six foot ten, six foot eleven. Um, and so there's a picture with him and Joel Embiid back to back when Joel was a freshman. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, I wasn't there for that one, unfortunately. But um, Wait, what was Joel Embiid? No, doing I haven't had. Well, uh, he was. We have great food. We have great food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. in trouble, the black, black bean quesadilla, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. The Ad Astra Cheddar Ale Soup. Yeah, the oh, cheddar. Yeah, so good. Say, obviously. Sorry, I'm just trying to derail but, the 76ers. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Dude, Joel Embiid is playing out of his freaking mind. Anyway, <laughs> MVP. Yeah, he is. No, he is undoubtedly. Oh, I, I honestly like uh, Jokic as well, but Embiid looks like Shaq now that he's playing in the post. Oh, yeah, it's wild, absolutely wild. It's and it is insane to see pictures of him from when he was 18 to like now. He's like gained like oh, 80 pounds goodness, of muscle. Yeah. And he's insane. And that's all he had to do. He was like, uh, I don't, I don't need to play in the post. I just need to make jump shots. And then he's like, Wait a minute, I'm Shaq. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Dude, seriously, he's so much fun to watch. Shout out to to True Centers, friends of the podcast. Sorry, continue on your story. Uh, oh, yeah, um, I'm I'm trying to think of other famous people at the pub. Uh, there was there was Aaron Rodgers came through a couple years ago. Really? I think he was in town for a KU. Yeah, he was in town for a KU basketball game. Really? Um, and he came through. Yeah, um, that might have been five years ago now. I don't know how long that was, but. Wow. No, going back to my time at Boulevard, I think the one I can the memorable day for me at least was uh, Tony Gonzalez came through oh, yeah. with two or three oh, of his friends, dude. and yeah, sure enough, we kind of we hooked him up with a bunch of fun bottles because I knew he was a beer and wine guy, um, a big time wine guy. I think he even might have part ownership in a vineyard out in California. So we were we at that time we had a lot of at Boulevard we had a lot of cool sour ales and some mixed fermentations and. And some with grapes added and things like that. So we were just kind of hooking him up with really cool bottles all night. And that was, he was super nice, super friendly, wow. way bigger than he is. Like he looks like a normal human on TV because mm-hmm. he's always around other football people. Yeah. And then you see him in real life and you're like, oh my God, you were oh huge. <laughs> Dude, I love Tony Gonzalez. I got one of his jerseys. Uh, it's, it's one of those like super old Adidas style ones too, you know, so it just like reeks of late 90s football. Quite, quite literally. <laughs> shout out to Tony Gonzalez. Great beer guy. Yeah, shout out. Indeed. Great tight end. Goat. All right. So, well, this is a perfect transition here because this is still technically a sports podcast. So we got to ask you some questions, man. Some of some hardball questions. Uh, first off, Indeed. did you play any sports growing up? I was a soccer kid. Oh, yeah? 
uh, yeah, so I played a ton of soccer um, all the way through high school. I was a three or four time intramural champion at St. Olaf. Nice. So intramural stud over Dude, here. You know, but, yeah, um, messing around over there, Jordan Williams. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's about it, though. I mean, I did, you know, the track stuff associated with soccer, and th- that was my sport all the way through. Super cool, super cool. Do you still play any sports? Are you part of like any like park league soccer leagues in Lawrence or anything? Uh, not, not lately, not, not in the last couple of years. Uh, I've made a few, as I joke, all-star appearances on the, uh, the free state growlers, which is a, uh, a member of the, uh, Lawrence kickball league in the summers, the, the Caw nice. Valley kickball league, nice. uh, which is an Heck absolute yes. blast. Like the sun, they do a Sunday night game every Sunday night. And I mean, it is just, it's, it's so fun pre COVID. Um, hopefully that mm. stuff kind of picks back up, but it's a blast. Like they do kind of like the showcase at the end of the year it used to be on the local news station and everything they'd get literally thousands of people coming out and there'd be live music and oh my gosh yeah yeah it's a blast and and they have um i can't remember if it's the seventh inning or somewhere in there uh the one of the teams grabs a cooler full of jello shots and just throws them over the backstop and so everybody catches jello shots and (laughs) that's awesome there's a lot of pbr a lot of pbr gets consumed that evening there's it is it is a wonderful space so much fun oh my goodness (laughs) i kind of want to go now once covid's over like not even to play just to be like a spectator and take it all in dude we should we should do a found city sports media like live pod at the kickball conference this is a great idea just like do interviews and stuff while they happen that is absolutely this is a great idea let's do it let's do it oh I think only like a week or two ago, they just confirmed that the Caw Valley Kickball League will be happening this summer. So Ooh. it's officially back on because they canceled it last year. Oh, so, Dude, we might have to postpone go, the Fountain City Sports Media News Cruise for this. This sounds uh, way more doable. <laughs> okay, so then next sports question. Uh, what is your favorite Kansas City sports memory? Man... That well, <laughs> lately there have been a ton. Oh, yeah, pretty much like yeah. every, every pass play. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, no, I don't know. That's crazy. Um, I, I guess to go back to the soccer thing, when Sporting won the MLS Cup a couple years ago, um, that was a pretty cool day. And then, like a week or two later, they took the actual MLS Cup and they went to like all the supporters bars. So here in Lawrence, we have the Mass Street Mob at the Red Lion Tavern. Really? Um, so three or four players showed up with the MLS Cup, um, wow. and the owner. F- uh, the owner filled it up with whatever was on draft. I don't know if it was free state lager or what he filled it up with Budweiser or something. This is disgusting to think about now that COVID has yeah. happened, but he just <laughs> passed it out into the crowd oh, and that, uh, everybody oh was taking drinks out of the MLS cup, yourself included, myself included. So no way. Yeah, I got to drink out of the MLS Cup along with 300 of my f- closest strangers. Dude, that, is, that is literally Kansas City sports heaven right there. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, that was a wild, wild fun time. That might be up there for one of my favorite Kansas City Absolutely. memories. Absolutely. That's Yeah, that's, that's living the dream. Just, just like touching the cup, but then drinking yeah. beer out of the cup with like people from sporting. That is yeah. nuts. Yeah. It was way heavier than I thought it was going to be. It's a, it's a solid boy, then. It's not like one of those like fake college yeah. football rivalry trophies. No, no. Okay, good to know. Well, hey, while, while we have you, and you know, with with all your knowledge of sporting and beer, uh, can you tell some of our friends of the podcast what some of the, the Kansas City, or sorry, Sporting Kansas City supporter bars are across the metro area? For those that might not know. Yeah, I mean. Um, they, I, I don't know all the bars and restaurants that are involved because I think a lot of the different supporter groups have kind of chosen their own mm-hmm. locations. So I, I just know that continuously here in Lawrence, the Mass Street Mob, we always go to the Red Lion yeah. Tavern. I know that Johnny's, like all the Johnny's locations are very good about showing all the sporting Kansas City matches. Awesome. Um, and I think the American Outlaws Kansas City group, so the American Outlaws are the supporter group for the, the national team. Mm-hmm. Um, they always meet at the Johnny's, I believe, in Power Light. Right on. Right on. Super yeah. cool. Check out those bars, ladies and gentlemen. Watch them sporting Kansas City because they're off to a one and start as of right now. Woo! Okay. Yeah. So then the last Take sports that, question. Red Bulls. The last sports question we have for you right <laughs> now. 
uh, the the uh, the NFL draft is coming up pretty soon. So, you know, we know the yeah. Chiefs might need some offensive linemen, I say with giant air quotes under my table. But they have some other needs on the team, too. If you were GM Brett Veach and you were sitting at the control station, what would you want the Kansas City Chiefs to do in this draft? Uh, you know, trade Patrick Mahomes, get Trevor Lawrence. We're good for uh, yeah. <laughs> And that's Jordan's last time on the podcast. Thanks for having us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh no, I mean, the O-line thing for me is what's glaringly obvious. Um, I, I, the, there's this monstrous guy from Alabama that tore his ACL, I believe is uh, Alex mm-hmm. Leatherwood. I, like, I would love to see him kind of fall to that late first round, um, pick him up. But no, and then maybe get a, like a, a sneaky speed, Damien. Like, the Chiefs always seem really good at finding receivers in later rounds that are just like, godly fast oh yeah um i know there's this kid from oklahoma state um i think tylen wallace is his name and like he ran a 4 3 40 and he's just vertical threat like throw him and tyreek on the opposite sides of the field and just yeah. tell defense is good luck oh. <laughs> like it, it would be game over so i don't know i think it would be o-line is always like a boring thing but um look what we got with fisher you know mm-hmm. so I say get some O line guys totally. and, and at least protect protect your guy who's worth half a billion dollars in the backfield. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, the body can't function if the you know the brain keeps getting whapped without a helmet. So let's exactly. get our brain a helmet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, Jordan, uh, we are running out of time on this podcast, so we just want to say thank you so much for willing to be, being willing to join us today on the show. We've had a wonderful time interviewing you, man. You're just like the Renaissance man of do it allisms. It's it's so cool. Yeah, dude, dude, you had some badass stories and just your knowledge on this on all the subjects were awesome, dude. Thanks so much, man. This is great. Absolutely, I, I had a blast talking to you guys. It's nice to uh, get to chat to somebody. No offense, who isn't my girlfriend or my coworkers. <laughs> we'd like to thank Jordan Williams for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media and we'd like to thank you for joining us today as well. This podcast is brought to you by listener support so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including an exclusive beer review from Mr. Jordan Williams himself. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 